Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Wrecked, our side series here on Play Along Podcast. In this series, one of us is joined by a guest and then we recommend a game to them, they recommend a game to us and we come together to discuss it. Um, Not much else really to say about that. This week, I am joined by Adam of Revival and Extinction Podcast, correct? Yes, yes. Yes. Hello. I was worried. I I forgot. I was like, I know. I'm I'm ninety nine percent certain because I looked and I was like, I know it's R and E, but what is the R and E? And then I started to doubt myself. But yes, <laughs> why don't you tell the folks a little bit about yourself and sort of what you do on your podcast and your little corner of the internet? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so as you guys can probably tell from my voice, I am Australian. Um. So, Revival and Extinction is a video games podcast where I play a game for at least five hours and then go on about how good the game is. That's it in a nutshell, essentially. Um, All the games are from my own backlog, so there's a wide variety and I've got more than enough content, I think, to last me at least the next 20 years, as we all do. I've seen his backlog. Um, you sent me a list of your backlog when we was trying to work out games for this episode, and it's extensive. It's <laughs> it's very long. Yeah. So yeah, I'm curious why why revival and extinction? Like, where did that come from? Um. Well, I basically the fact is that. I am reviving them from my backlog and then putting them to extinction. So hopefully for good, uh, because I had a real problem finishing games. Like I'd start many, many across the course of say a year. Um, but I found that I just wasn't getting through them at all. Um, I just really jumped from one game to the next. So I gave myself the five hour time limit because I didn't want to put 40 hours into a game that I didn't particularly like. Uh, so this way and recording for it actually gives me a way to not only finish games, but ensure that I actually finish them to a time limit. And yeah, podcasting is very good for making sure that happens. So do you only pay five hours? Like, do you not play more? Uh, at least. So if I enjoy the game, okay. I normally continue on and finish them to completion mm. um but if i'm just really hating life as i'm playing it five hours is a good a good out point for a lot of games that's fair yeah so what have you um what have you played recently for for your podcast well my son got uh or he won a game pass for his birthday and me loving game pass uh because there's just so much good content on there at the moment i'm like sure you can have that for your birthday um so i've been diving into gungrave gore i put a little bit of time into atomic heart which only got released in the last week or so uh but they're the two two main ones that are coming up and i just finished uh danganronpa 2 which i'll be recording an episode for quite soon Danganronpa 2 is uh, is on my list to play as well. I was surprised by the first one. I went into it unsure what to expect. Um, and all I'll say is that it's a lovable kind of crazy. That's probably the best way I could explain that game. 
Oh, most definitely. And the second the second one has just as many kind of twists and turns as the first one did. So I definitely definitely recommend it. Oh, excellent. Okay, well, from there we shall move on to the first game that we are talking about today. So this is one I believe you actually recommended to me, which uh so the specifically we're talking about one of them, so they were released as a duo called the nonary games but specifically we're talking about the first one which is nine hours nine persons nine doors This is one that I recommend you, specifically the first one, uh, mainly for the story and gameplay reasons. Mm. So, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors is a visual novel mixed with an adventure game and was developed by Chunsoft. It originally released in 2010 for the Nintendo uh, DS. Uh, had a Japanese release of 2009, apparently. And then was, um, as we said, bundled together with the sequel, which is Virtue's Last Reward, and sort of packaged as the nonary games. And I played this on Xbox Game Pass. What is your history specifically with Nine Hours? I'm just going to call so, it Nine Hours from now on. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, because there's quite a few to the series. Um so this wasn't actually the first one in the series that I played. Um, I played Virtue's Last Reward, which is the other other part of the uh, the Nonary Games package. Um, back on the 3DS, um, I've mm. always liked mystery-type puzzle games, uh, and being from Spike Chunsoft specifically, they've just made some stellar, stellar games throughout. So... Uh, I'd played that one, and I also heard uh, another podcast talking about it around that time, uh, and just went, "Wow, this this story sounds amazing! I need to know it for myself." Uh, so I got a hold of the DS version, which is super expensive. Um, I actually checked eBay a little bit earlier today, and it it goes for around one hundred and seventy Australian dollars. Wow! Sealed. Um, yeah, so I'm guessing it's quite rare, and I don't know how many, what sales figures were like at the time. Uh, but yeah, played it through on the 3DS, uh, just absolutely demolished it. Loved the story, got all the endings. And then when it came to Game Pass, I gave it through a quick play. I probably only got about three of, three of the six endings in that one, uh, just because the... The console kind of interface didn't agree with me on controller as opposed to handheld. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I played um, I played a small section of this on my Xbox One, and then moved to PC. And playing it on PC was miles miles better. And I imagine, kind of for the same reason that it was on the DS, is that this is. It is similar to a lot of like visual novels of this type, where it's not solely a visual novel; it mixes another genre. 
it's almost like point and click um and using the cursor like using the xbox stick as a cursor to point and click is very tiresome yeah yeah i've found it never goes really down too well uh with adventure games i'm curious to hear how you went with a certain section of the story uh that requires the dual screen in particular though how'd you go on Ooh. pc with that uh, uh, I... when you're playing the view of someone else i don't know how spoilery you want to get um we can we can get spoiler heavy um okay. so yeah what's what section are you talking about so when you're playing as june from the past yeah and you're using well in the ds version anyway you use the bottom screen solely for her when you go back in the past as akane so the top screen is Junpei, and you're seeing Akane's point of view in the bottom screen of the DS. See, I don't remember anything like that. I think, I think what they may have done is got rid of that top screen view and just had okay. like solely as Akane or as like the whole screen. Yep. Okay. Um. But I mean, the screen's big enough that I feel that they could have done dual screen if they wanted to. Definitely. Um, so in terms of the plot as a whole, uh, you follow, you play as a character called Junpei. And it basically begins with you waking up on a ship. And all of a sudden, one of the circular windows explodes and water starts gushing in. And this is what's interesting is because we get to what was probably my favorite aspect of the game as a whole, which is the uh, find a way out escape room scenarios that you're put in. Yeah, yeah. This <laughs> It's funny that you mentioned this opening part because I actually left the screen running just to see if the room actually would fill up with water. Um, and you could die from this very first puzzle. Uh, you can't. It's all a um, a lovely kind of conceit to try and put some pressure on. Um, right. But I definitely agree. Uh, the story is a strong part, um, but the puzzles were definitely my, my favourite part as well going through. Yeah, so you, you managed to eventually escape the room, and it has a lot of... Um point and click aspects like we said so you'll find items and you might have to combine some of them some of them may be interacting with certain aspects from what i remember about that room it has to do with two suitcases one's red and one's blue i believe and it's about finding the specific key and the code to each suitcase that allows you to exit the room and when we exit the room we find that we're in like the foyer of this titanic looking like luxury cruise liner um it's got this massive i, I say titanic because it, it reminded me of the staircase from the titanic movie that kind of comes down both sides and then grand staircase in the middle of the foyer and you find that there are eight other individuals with you. And one of them is a childhood friend of yours. Who 
we go on to call June. Her real name is Akane, but we go on to call her June. And basically each of these nine individuals has a bracelet on their wrist. And the bracelet on the wrist has a... I get confused because I've just played Virtue's Last regard, uh, Reward. So in nine hours, each bracelet has a number on it. And it is very math heavy, but essentially what you will have to do is in order to enter a door, at least three people have to go in, no more than five. And if you add the three numbers together, so say you want to go through door six and three people go through and you have, I don't know, say uh, nine four and two that equals 15 and then if you add the one and the five together that equals six that means that and many people are allowed to go through the number six door so there's this whole kind of additional problem of who's going to go to what room how many people are going to go and the whole premise is to find the number nine door and then leave with the correct amount of people to go through the number nine door now obviously straight off the bat no more than five people can go through one door so you know from the beginning that at least four people have to be left behind and so that's the kind of core premise of the game at the beginning is it's a escape this sinking cruise liner there's this evil uh hmm I don't want to call it a voice, but there's a person called Zero who interacts with the individuals over the speaker system and informs them that they are part of this nonary game and that they have to find the number nine door, blah, blah, blah. That is the core base of the story. Is there yeah, anything you so want to add? Well, the math premise that you just talked about um, is actually a real kind of kind of premise called um, root root numbering, I think. Something like uh, that. It's like root root number or yeah, root digital bond. roots. Um, digital roots. That's it. Yep. So I found that that premise quite quite interesting. Um, it does have some real world applications. Uh, like you said, you use it through the doors, but you also use it in the puzzles. Uh, throughout yes. so i think it's in the casino um it's used in the real life card game of baccarat there and you also have a baccarat relayed puzzle to open the door on that level mm -hmm. uh, but yeah it's very very killing game-esque i think yes, this is yeah. also around the time that the saw series was big um particularly yeah. in my country uh so fit in fit in well with that and is very on brand for um Spike Chunsoft. Yeah, because I mean, Chunsoft um, are responsible for Dangan Romper, I believe, yep. as, as well. So yeah. there's there's a lot of similarities between those two in terms of like, not everyone's going to make it. You're in this place. You have to escape. Now. I'm not going to go crazy, crazy heavy on the story, but there are lots of things that happen. So we find out that, um, sorry, <clears throat> we find out that 
like we said, uh, Junpei and June know each other. They're childhood friends. There is a girl, Clover. She is the sister of one of the other guys who they called Snake because he's number one. On uh, No, he's number two, Snake Eyes. Um, number seven knows Lotus, who's number eight, because it turns out that seven was a cop who was investigating these missing children. So there are these connections between all of the characters and it does fit very nicely into the lore outside of the game. We find out that there were missing children and that they were taken by this or supposedly presumed to be taken by a pharmaceutical company who have ties to one of the people on the ship who have like everything links together to kind of give this idea of an overarching scheme. It's not like, um, and I'm not knocking Danganronpa, but in Danganronpa, it's very much like, why are we here? What, like, who is the person behind it? Whereas in this, it gives this impression, at least to me, of like somebody overseeing this. There's an organization, there is ties to the real world as well as what is happening in this ship. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, most definitely. And I think Danganronpa falls into a trap that a lot of franchises do. And whilst I love consuming media, I think in the in the case of a visual novel, you should be able to uh, kind of experience it all in one, one sort of go instead of going elsewhere for lore or extra, oh, extra kind of content yes. while they're there. I feel like 999 really wraps that up really well uh, in just the self-contained game. There's no novels or anime that you have to go and watch to understand why they're all there. Yeah, and that was that was something that when I got to the end of Danganronpa and I kind of realised, I was like, oh, okay, there's this... It, it, the end of the game does allude to this kind of big conspiracy and you don't really know who Monokuma is and who's controlling him, who's behind him, what the purpose is. And then I found out like there are several anime series and there are books and there are like free games. And there's a whole, like you said, this whole range of media that you have to consume. It was very disheartening, but like you said, 999 is very self-contained. So everything you need to know about like, you know as much as the characters do. You never really find out who Zero truly is. It's very, in my opinion, it's very heavily um, hinted at being, or one of the characters at least being involved with Zero. But it's not self-contained like in Danganronpa. Like we said, there's things that have happened outside of this place that are known about and seem to have ties to 999. So, 999 has six endings. I'm curious, do you remember how many of those endings you experienced? Uh, when I played through the DS version, all six, um, I wanted mm-hmm. to get to, because I think you need the other five to get to the true ending. Is yes, you do. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, I definitely want to experience the true ending for this, because... Uh, a lot. <laughs> Two of the endings are quite quite brutal, I think. Uh, in yes. in Junpei's death, 
yeah definitely so my the very very first one i got um and so we'll set the scene a tiny bit like i said everyone is involved everyone knows each other somehow um regardless of what happens snake dies um in the game as far as i'm aware that is inevitable um and that is clover's brother like we said now the ending that i got there was some ambiguity because snake what happens when you go through a numbered door you have to find a receiver on the other end and the three people or however many people entered have to scan their bracelet onto the receiver on the other side of the door in order to deactivate the bracelet and not detonate a bomb that is inside of them and that probably sounds like absolute bullshit but we learn very early on that it is true uh the ninth man basically tries to take people hostage he uses three people to open a door and then he enters the room by himself and then proceeds to blow up um on the other side of that door so we know that it's not it's not false we know it's true there are consequences to trying to cheat the system in in that regard so there's there's this whole overarching mystery of who killed snake because somebody had to open the door to push him in and then the door closes after nine seconds and then he he exploded because there wasn't enough people on the other side to deactivate the bomb now my very first ending i had got to the end we had five people we had um enough people to to get to the number nine door and clover goes off with june ace and somebody else to go and get everyone so that we can get together and leave and then we're waiting around we're like hmm, you know humming waiting for people to come along and all of a sudden the lift comes back up and clover is on her own and we're like clover like where the hell is everyone else and she's like oh they're right here with me and she throws down uh basically decapitated arms with people's bracelets still on them and the whole premise is that she can use those bracelets um to and to exit the door it doesn't need the person it just needs the bracelet and then she basically murders junpei she um hits him in the back with a hatchet and takes his bracelet and leaves him to die and that was my very very first ending yeah is... yeah the good the good old knife ending <laughs> yeah absolutely brutal um because clover is like this she's portrayed as like the the scared schoolgirl. she's like you know she's very sort of boisterous and she can be very mouthy to the other characters she does give as good as she gets but she the the whole time she kind of has this whole air around her of being the scared child so for her to murder us is is kind of crazy and basically she murdered i can't remember who it was the two people that were with her but she murdered them two for killing snake her brother and then yep. because june was there as a witness she killed june because june was going to come and tell us what she had done and so 
in the end, she just killed us because she was like, hey, well, I need your bracelet as well, and you're not going to help me, so I'm going to kill you. So that that's very similar to my first ending. Um, I got the one called The Submarine, where basically the first part of what you said happens is you get to door two, it's Junpei, Seven, and Lotus together. Um, mm -hmm. You get to door two, and you find the bodies of Ace, Santa, and Clover dead on the floor. Um, you then go through the door and find a submarine to escape the ship. And Junpei sees June's body on the floor in the submarine room. Um, so he runs up to her. They have a very, very sweet last moment before she dies. And then Junpei gets stabbed in the back and ends up drowning to death. And at the time, you don't know who the killer is. Um, but it's later, later found to be Ace, who is linked in with the pharmaceutical company who had had a lot to do with the first the first uh nonary game nine years ago yeah because there is um that's kind of what i was saying about how seven was a cop these children were kidnapped and um from from what we can gather basically forced to play a nonary game as some sort of experiment by this pharmaceutical company and like you said ace is connected to them so that submarine ending was the second one that i received um, I also got an ending where, um, what happened? What happened? I went down the lift and no, I think that was that one. I found Lotus dead. Um, yeah, I think that leads on to that submarine ending. Do you remember any of the other endings out of curiosity? Just before I look them up. Um, there was one that was really linked to, to Seven, who was the cop, uh, called the, called the Zero Ending, um, and it's really where Ace kind of reveals his true colours, um, but, and Junpei walks into the room once again and finds, uh, finds June dead, and then there's a gas grenade and kind of Junpei dies that way. However, I guess um, all of them are, are real endings, aren't they? Uh, when we look at the the overall true ending. Yeah, so the the zero ending that you was talking about um, is, is like you said, uh, basically Ace shows his true colours. Um, they find a a zero bracelet, which I did find in one of my playthroughs. Um, and obviously that is good because say you've got like four and five, you can then use the zero and just go through the door that way. Um, yeah, the ending is necessary in order to get the true ending. Uh, one of the most confusing endings and by far the most neutral one. We don't know what happens to Junpei after he talks to zero. What happens to Seven and Lotus? What happens to Santa? is later later revealed that Santa is Zero's assistant. Oh my lord. There's so the problem with this game, the one of the problems with this game is um this there's a lot of real world scientific theories that are discussed in this game and one of them is 
called, hang on, I have it here, Morphic Resonance Hypothesis. And so this is the theory that fins, organic fins in the world have a shared memory. And this is something that's built upon in Virtue's Last Reward because there are multiple timelines and the characters are aware of multiple timelines and that's a whole different debate discussion we could get into. But in in Nine Hours, it's almost like all of them are kind of true endings, like you said, because in order to... Once you get all six endings, you understand the overarching theme of what's happening like we said with santa being the assistant to zero him being the man on the inside um so that was one of the things that i kind of struggled with at first was understanding how all of these things are concurrently true and also a part of the overarching plot if that makes sense Yeah, and I feel like the reason that the pharmaceutical company is trying to exploit these kids to get morphic resonance happening is quite shallow. Um, Because basically it wants to, the research they want to do is to help Ace, who's the, he ends up being the founder of the pharmaceutical company, um, is to cure his disease that he has. it's called prosopagnosia, um, mm-hmm. which is face blindness, essentially. So he can't distinguish people by their faces. Mm. And basically, they go through all this to just kind of research how to to cure himself, uh, which I feel is quite quite a shallow motivation overall. Yeah, and so, like you said, he's he's trying to cure this illness. Um, this is the second uh, Nonary game. The first Nonary game featured Ace, Snake, Santa, Clover, June, Seven, and Lotus's twin daughters, who Seven had witnessed um, when he was trying to help save the kids off the boat. And like you said, it's it's a very shallow reason to to go about doing everything and especially to the extent that it has been done. You know, like kidnapping children and forcing people to fight each other to the death essentially is it's, it's it's just absolutely crazy <laughs> to to think about. Um, so the real ending is is based around that basically. Um, Seven slowly regains his memory, and then, um, as far as I'm aware, yeah, Snake, Clover, Seven, Junpei, and Lotus all escape and find themselves on the top of a building. They then. Uh, get into a car and drive away to safety. While in the car, Junpei asks Ace and Seven all about all ice. Uh, oh my lord. And then this is where this begins to tie into the second game because they find a hitchhiker on the side of the road 
and the hitchhiker is actually Alice, who is somebody in Virtue's Last Reward. <sighs> these these okay. games tied yeah, together so crazy. Because she was an Egyptian princess who was frozen in ice. Uh, they mention her briefly at the start of the game, I believe. And doesn't really have much to do with her until the end. Yeah, it's just... I didn't realise how... Um... Oh, God, yeah. Wow, this is so much more convoluted than I remember. Wow. So I didn't get this engine... Uh, this ending, sorry. Uh, there is a syringe ending, which is exclusive only to the iOS version. Um, and in this ending, basically, Clover threatens to kill um, one of the members. I can't remember who says here she's trying to kill. She she goes to threaten to kill someone who killed her brother, basically. Um Junpei, oh, she threatens to kill Junpei. She thinks Junpei is the person who um, killed her brother. Um, and Junpei is injected with an anesthetic that Clover stole from Ace. Junpei then drowns. Um, Junpei, and then Clover's expression is the same as that of the one from the axe ending. Wow. So either way, Clover is not the sweet little innocent girl that the game portrays her to be. No, not at all. Interesting so, that, that was exclusively for the IRS. Yeah, I was going to say about that, because I mean, that's the only real kind of... Um, the real kind of sort of film where we talk about how Danganronpa has like multiple animes and stuff like that. So... The end. The story of this game is quite convoluted. Um, I I personally don't think it ever truly made sense to me. Um, I I enjoyed the story. Um, absolutely love the story of this game. But if you asked me, if you asked me what the overarching lore of the game was and how everyone connected to one another, I. I would 100% get my wires crossed somewhere. There is a lot that happens in this first game. And we need to, I think, look at the time that it came out. I feel like, and part of the reason why I recommended it is it was, I feel, a pioneer, really, for this type of type of genre. Like, yeah, there was visual novels that had come out previously, um, but I feel this was the game that kind of got visual novels recognised in the West in particular. Um, because after this came out, we kind of saw a big slew kind of come through. And it definitely put, put the West on the map for Japanese developers and their interest in visual novel games. Yeah, and I mean, surprising that you like mentioned that really, because I was going to talk about that, because basically... Nine Hours actually did really poorly in Japan. Um, it was actually classified as a commercial failure, but the game sold very well in the United States, and it was the highest sales in the United States that actually 
led to Virtue's last reward being made and sort of the series being continued on, which I don't know. I mean, admittedly, I can't say that my knowledge of it is a great, but I don't know of another visual novel that's been kept alive through Western sales. Normally it's predominantly uh, Japan and the sort of the East that drives the sales of these games and kind of drives the franchise. Yep. Um, but in terms of gameplay, obviously you played on a DS. How do you remember the gameplay being? Do you remember having any issues with it? Um, not off the top of my head. Having a stylus was super helpful for the point and click aspect, like you said. Um, that the main focus of the game's puzzles were because I could just, yeah, basically click on everything on the screen that I needed to and change screens quite quite easily. Mm. So I feel like it was definitely a game that they had the DS in mind when they made it um, because even on the on the Xbox port um, they they kept the dual screens to some some degree yeah there was some here and there yeah yeah it was um, most of it was single screen though to be honest with you okay yeah, and there weren't there weren't really any puzzles that kind of gave me trouble on the DS. Uh, there was one where you're in like a a bathroom and you need to track down I think the sun key to progress mm-hmm. to a door. Uh, that one gave me a bit of trouble just because the um, the classic key in the toilet bowl kind of thing that they do in a lot of puzzle games moving mm. forward. Uh, for some reason, I just had real trouble uh, getting that kind of the stylus to kind of work with the DS on that one. But apart from that, mm. um, absolute joy on the DS. Like you can, and it's portable as well. So you can take it, take it wherever you need to go and just kind of go from there. Yeah. And I mean, the, the game definitely shines in, in places where you can do that point and click properly. So, like I said, on the PC, it was definitely much better than on the Xbox. Um, but in terms of the gameplay itself, you have what they call novel and escape. So the idea being that you will go through a numbered door and then there's essentially an escape room on the other side and you do that puzzle. Um, all of the puzzles are challenging enough I wouldn't say any of them were overly challenging. Um, they do require you to think quite a bit, and there were times where I was just blindly combining items to see what would happen and to see if I could get something new to help me progress with the puzzle. The only real puzzle I struggled with personally was the... Um, there's a puzzle where you're in a cargo area... And you're tasked with moving these boxes in order to give you a pathway to climb up the top of something and investigate inside of a coffin. And you have a set amount of moves to move the boxes and there are things in the way. And it's very reminiscent of um, 
you know those wood sliding puzzles where you have to slide the bits across and the idea is to get one piece out it's oh, very yeah. reminiscent of yeah. that yeah um, where you're using the crane hey. yes yeah you yeah. have a crane and there's certain boxes you can't move that took me an awfully long amount of time um but even then, it was that kind of when I come out the other side of it, I was like, oh, yes, okay, right. I solved it. And I felt, I could feel myself every time I did something and learned something new, I was like, oh, okay, right. I can move this here. That helps that. The novel side of it is fairly simple, I think. It's a visual novel. Um, you do, You do make some decisions that impact what, ending you get mainly in terms of who's going to go through what room and whether you trust someone or not and sort of that kind of aspect um but what i really liked about this game is that while it tasks you with essentially finding the six endings you can open up what they call the flow which is like a flow chart and you can rewind back to any point. So in the flow chart, you'll see the branches of where you need to go. And you can rewind back to a very um like a very significant moment where you made a decision and make the opposite decision and then get that ending. Now there was there was one thing that annoyed me which is that I couldn't get one of the endings because one part that I needed was locked because I hadn't found a key in a certain room during one of the escape sections. So that meant I didn't have the key. There was some sort of key or some sort of key decision I needed to make that I hadn't made or found that locked me from going that way. So that meant I'd have to go further up the branch play my way through again and try and find this fin um and so i ended up not doing that i got three of the endings like organically um and then in the end i was like okay i'm, I'm done i've had enough of this game uh i'm not i'm not gonna play through again yeah a real a real trope of this genre is that they do ask for quite a bit of your time um i'm just trying because i don't remember that flowchart there so i don't know where that was present in the ds or the original interesting um there were i did notice some definite quality of life changes in the the small time i did spend with the xbox version um in particular the ability to like skip dialogue once you'd heard it once before Mm -hmm. Um, yeah the 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 Xbox version definitely seems um, seems to lean towards helping the player in those replete, repeated gameplay uh, playthroughs, I should say, sorry. Um, so like I said, like you said, you've got that ability to skip dialogue if you've heard it. You've got the flow chart that you can jump around and sort of go where you need to go. Um, so the the, the Xbox version is very great. I'm I'm surprised that it wasn't in the uh, wasn't in the DS version. Oh, it may have been. I just don't remember using it oh, at the time. Enough. 
So in terms of um, in terms of your sort of final thoughts of nine hours, what would you what would you say to someone who was considering playing this game, having never played it before? I definitely recommend the the newest version uh, to go with, and to just be aware that it is of its time. Um, there are a lot of problems with it. However, if you if you're willing to put in put in the time, uh, you're gonna experience a great story and great puzzles, and see what really really kicked off visual novels in the West. Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I I would say, from my personal experience, I would say that this game is more geared towards somebody who wants a escape room puzzle game with novel aspects. I personally wouldn't say the the story is great, um, but you very much have to like charlie day meme it and have like a cork board and work out how everyone (laughs) links together and what the overarching story is and i will say having just played virtue's last reward which i don't think is as good as this game i'll just say um virtue's last reward is even crazier i think there are like 16 endings in that game and only like three of them wow. are canon. Um, so just know that if you're going to get into this series, that multiple endings and multiple playthroughs are quite standard for this franchise. Um, but very much like Adam said, like if you want, if you like Danganronpa and you're like, I want to see a sort of another game that helped pave the way for visual novels coming to the West. And even though the story is convoluted, the story is great. The puzzles are great. And I 100% recommend that you play it. Play the Nonary Games version on Game Pass and make use of that flowchart. That's what I would say. Completely agree. So next up, we have the game that I recommended to you. Now, you had recommended me Nonary Games because I had installed it and was about to play it anyway and you was like that's great you're gonna love it play that so in turn i recommended to you another classic japanese visual novel which was root letter but specifically root letter last answer Yeah, so this root letter last answer is, well, the original root letter uh, was released in 2016, visual novel adventure developed by Katakawa Games for PS4, PS Vita, Microsoft Windows, Android, and iOS. And it's another first entry in a series uh, that has sequel in 2020 called Root Film. Yes. 
specifically the last answer version which which we played um has some has some big changes to it in particular the live action portions to the story (laughs) and also some extra endings as well yeah so um it's i guess it is technically a remake but i don't i don't know i guess it is really like you said the, the main change is that there are some extra story portions but the main change is that it moved away from that anime-esque visual novel style that we see in a lot of games and replace that with live actors um most of which are just kind of like pictures of live actors um yeah they're they're not they're not physically live they kind of have different expressions that fade in and out but yeah stop motion stills uh throughout um there is voice acting though there is voice acting yeah yeah um so what did you know about Root Letter prior to remake me recommending it to you? Uh, absolutely nothing, to be honest. Um, both this and the sequel I hadn't heard of until you until you recommended it to me. And I went down trying to track down a version of it. Yeah. So the reason I recommended it is because Root Letter is one of those ones that is considered a classic in the Japanese visual novel genre. Um, And I had reviewed Root Letter Last Answer and then went on to review Root Film as well. Mm -hmm. But I kind of figured like, hey, if if you've not played this and you, you clearly like Japanese visual novels, this is one that you should absolutely play just solely for kind of historical purposes, I guess, really. So, in terms of the story, the story of the game follows Takayuki Nakamura, who is searching for his uh, pen pal from 15 years ago when he was in secondary school, high school, whatever you want to call it. So, he travels to the uh, Shimane Prefecture, and is basically trying to look for clues and track down his pen pal who he never met. <sighs> There's all kinds of mystery around this pen pal. Uh, there are, I think, five or six endings to this game. Uh, yeah, definitely a similar amount. Um... And so essentially, the, the way that this happens is you... You're trying to track down Aya, who is your um, your pen pal, and you end up finding her seven friends. And so it becomes about talking to her seven friends, finding out what they knew about her, what they can remember, do they know where she is, and then also kind of discussing, like cross-referencing what they say with one another and, you know, does it match up? Are there any holes in what they're saying? Yeah, it's very much a detective murder mystery, you think, uh, when you get there. Because Max, which is the nickname of um, the main character, receives a letter, another letter from Aya after after 15 years. Um, 
to come back and help her because she's killed someone, and that's what's that. That's what actually brings him back to uh, Shimane oh, is that to kind it? of track oh. her down. Yeah. Interesting. I'd forgot that aspect of it. Um, so, in terms of the plot, what was your what was your first ending? What did you get? Um, I got the curse letter ending because uh, I went in blind for this one um, first up because I wanted to experience it naturally. And then after I got that first ending, I was hooked. So I'm like, I need to get the rest of these endings. I need a hundred percent this. And this was actually my first platinum on PS4 where I played it. Um, Interesting. I'm, okay. I'm quite new to the Sony consoles. Uh, growing up, I wasn't really much of a Sony kid and only right. recently started a big backlog on the PS4. Um, but yeah, after I got that first ending, I'm like, I have to know what happens with the rest. Yeah. <laughs> so the curse letter ending is also the, the one that I got when I played through the game. Um, and I feel, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I, I feel like the curse letter ending is the ending that the game kind of naturally pushes you towards. If you kind of play the game as it seems that you should play it, I feel like that's the ending that everybody will get on their first blind playthrough. Yeah, I agree. Um, the game definitely has a lot of things going on in the background in regards to how it determines the endings. And once you work out what that is, it's quite easily or quite easy to influence which endings you get from there. Mm-hmm. Um because the endings are all linked to the responses that you give uh, when it reflects on Max writing the letters to Arya at the beginning of each chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it's a very good conceit that the game does, but nothing you actually do outside of the actual story start in each chapter determines what ending you get. It's yeah. purely based on the responses you give in those letters. Yeah, which is an interesting way to to go about it as well because I, like I said, this was the ending I got and I felt that the, the way that I was crafting the letters because you basically make multiple choices in each letter as to what you're going to say and I felt that what I was put in was the most kind of realistic reply in terms of like making the most sense of what was said to Max. Mm-hmm. Um, so the curse letter ending, we have seven friends of Aya. And so in the curse letter ending, correct me if I'm wrong, Aya is dead. Yeah, correct. And Shiori, who is one of the girls, uh, she takes on the role of Aya as part of this yearly ritual that these friends do. Um, and basically the idea is that each year a different friend will take on the role of Aya and try to convince a pen pal that Aya is still real and Aya is alive. And if they can't convince them, then Aya will kill all of uh, will kill one of the friends of the group basically 
Yeah, um, so it's kind of like a schoolyard curse where each year, like you said, the group of group of seven has to form together to convince an outsider that I is real. Otherwise, the curse will kill them all. Yeah, and that is exactly what happens in this ending. Um, Takayuki finds out that the real Aya is dead, and as a result, the curse basically takes the life of all seven of the friends, but also takes Takayuki's life as well. Yeah, and- yeah, not not an ending I was expecting um, from the yeah. tone of the game, for sure. Yes, the the, the tone of the game is very like. It's very like somber in a kind of way because it's like you know oh she's yeah the the whole time from what from what I remember like the friends are like oh like you know we haven't heard from her she disappeared we're sure she's out there so like they don't tell you that she's dead there's always this kind of hope that Aya is out there somewhere and you're going to be able to reconvene and meet with her properly again um so this is like a complete blind side <laughs> in terms of what you're expecting is there any of the other um so there are four other endings are there any of the other four endings that kind of stuck out to you for better or worse (laughs) so the government plot ending is just completely (laughs) off the wall um so basically with this one you follow through through the game as normal find out that shiori and the other classmates were pretending to be Aya. However, you find out at the end that Shiori is a member of an alien race um, who has come to Earth as kind of like the vanguard for their species to kind of protect them. And then it leads on to a wild bunch of events that basically end in a big Gundam battle with Max piloting this big Gundam robot to save the human race from this invading alien force. And it's just, yeah, all sorts of wild. Yeah, doesn't he um doesn't he end up in like a mental hospital or something as well? Uh yeah, so uh yeah, sorry, I talked about the um the extra ending that they are added on for last last answer. Um so in the the first lot of government plot, um, Aya's father, who works for this big government, a secret government agency, ends up committing Max by convincing him that he's crazy. It's just mental because it just ends with Max like screaming at the walls about how there are UFOs and Siori is an alien, and everyone's like, oh, "Okay, uh, of course, buddy, sure." <laughs> Yeah, and that I sent you a screenshot of the screen actually. When when Max goes to visit the dad who is in the nursing home under under the premise that he's a doddery old man, um it the main kind of meeting rec room area of the nursing hall is a strip club. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just yeah. Yeah. I don't have words to describe it. <laughs> You can't, you, you you can't, and this is like the vast difference between uh, Root Letter and Nine Nine Nine, because in Nine 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 the crazy ones are crazy, but somewhat make sense. But this is just like, what? 
<laughs> it's just so out of left field. Um, the I did play through the game the second time. The second ending I got was the crossing paths ending, which is basically where uh, Takayumi just misses meeting uh, Siori. And Shiori basically goes to Africa to like help the sick or something. Yep. And she ends up writing to him and is like, hey, just so you know, I was pretending to be Aya. Aya was never real. I was Aya. Um, and basically, they both acknowledge that they have regrets about how they handled it and that they're never going to see each other again. And they just kind of accept that they were childhood pen pals and and that's it that's kind of how that one ends yeah and that's also the ending that the americanized movie kind of took as well Mm -hmm. um if we want to talk about that near the end um so this this must have been popular in america because they made a movie about it or loosely based on it, I should say. The movie itself is terrible. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I managed to track it down through means because it wasn't on Netflix. It didn't even make it to Netflix or any kind of streaming services. Um, Definitely a B-grade kind of adaptation. Worse than the Death Note movie, American movie adaptation, if that puts it in context for everyone. That's... That's a bold statement. That American Death Note is rather bad. <laughs> it um, yeah, it follows Root Letter in the loosest sense. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't think I'll be watching that anytime soon. Um. So the last one that I've got on here is the Bond of Marriage, which apparently plays very similar to that Crossing Paths ending that we was just talking about. Um. But Shiori takes on the role of Aya. It says to repeat a grieving Yoko. Is Yoko her dad? Uh, no, mm. so Yoko is the wife of Mr. Fumigaya, Aya's real mother. Um, so after Aya uh, died, Shiori kind of went round to the house, uh, got to know the family, and because in the mother's grief, she kind of saw Shiori as Aya. Um, So Aya really personifies that role for her to help her kind of deal with her grief from losing her daughter. Right, okay. So starts dressing like her, starts using her mannerisms, basically becomes Aya to yeah live with them so then that leads to the friends basically being like well you're not shiori anymore you're aya it's weird we don't particularly feel comfortable and they basically distance themselves from her yeah yeah correct and that's why they say throughout the game that she's she's dead in inverted commas um but then, as opposed to the crossing paths ending, um, Max actually is able to run into Aya, and then they form a relationship after that. Yeah, which is kind of weird, really, when you think about it. Um, 
because yeah, he just not... like oh you go he as I say like he like what he meets he meets Shiori and she's like oh yeah I was pretending to be Aya and he's like that's fine like let's get married <laughs> yeah definitely definitely not the most trust filled foundation for a relationship I'm I'm curious um, about this special extra ending that you had with Gundams because I never experienced this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the yeah the last answer arcs are the extra endings. So once you unlock the bonds of marriage, um, on the main menu screen, it's got last answer arcs. So you can just skip to to follow and kind of. They're kind of like five, ten minute snippets of extra information to each of the arcs. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned with the government plot answer arc, it's the government releasing Max because they need him to help fight off the alien invasion. Um, it's got some really good anime kind of cut-ins. It's got, yeah, it actually has an anime cutscene in it where they wow, created okay. about a 10, 15 second clip of Max in a Gundam doing his super move, Max mode. Um, oh, yeah, we'll talk about to that. To destroy all the alien ships. <laughs> and then in wow. the Bonds of Marriage arc, it's uh, Max and Shiori going back to the prefecture, asking for the friend's help to kind of help them with their wedding. Because um, Max, oh, Max hasn't proposed at the end of the Bonds of Marriage arc, and it's the guys, I think it's Monkey and uh, Takanuki, I forget his nickname, uh, the guy with glasses that worked for the worked as the government bureaucrat, helping him mm. craft his proposal and get a ring and all that for Shiori. God, okay. He's a crazy. <laughs> very, very cringe. Okay, so having spoke about Max Mode, let's talk about the the gameplay of Root Letter a little bit. What did you what did you think of it? Because it's much more it, it's much more traditional in terms of its visual novel ness, I'd say, than like nine nine nine. There's no real uh there's no real adventure sequences or puzzles or anything like that. Like Max Mode is really the closest that you get to having a puzzle, I think. Yeah, so it follows the Phoenix Wright kind of way of visual novels of investigate, um, interrogate kind of thing. So you go throughout the world on the still screens uh, searching for clues to create items or evidence when you're confronting the friends to kind of get them to open up about Arya and Shiori and just about what's going on and what happened uh, 15 years ago. So a really good feature that I think they need in more point-and-click games is the ability to see all the aspects on the screen. Um, so I think if you press circle on the on the PlayStation controller, it actually highlighted all the different areas you could investigate. So yeah, you'd select or find, find evidence and then go and talk or interrogate uh, one of Aya's friends to find out information about what happened in the present and what happened 15 years ago. Um, and then you had a main menu screen where you could either look, talk, 
move to another location or think, which was like the help uh, option. Mm. So one thing that, one criticism I have of this game is that sometimes or progress was gated by using the think selection. Um, so I had all the items from an area. I knew where I wanted to go, but it wouldn't let me move there. It it said, oh, I'll need to think about something. So you actually need to use the help screen to kind of progress from there, which is one thing I yeah. didn't like about the gameplay. Yeah. Yeah, it's very... Um... It's very weird, isn't it? Because like like you said, you have everything and you know where you need to go. But it's like you almost need to give Max a chance to like Max a chance to process it, even though you as the player know where you're meant to go. Um it's it's very strange. It's very strange. And I found it I remember finding it quite frustrating and quite jarring because I rem- I remember getting frustrated and being like, I know where I need to go. Why is he not letting me go? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the max mode itself, yeah, it was alright. Um, it didn't give you, well, at least I couldn't pick up any indication about which one was the right one. I found it real trial and error. Like, it wasn't necessarily the bar all the way to the top was the correct answer. Yeah, so there's a, there's a gauge that fills up and, um you're basically supposed to press a button at a certain point and each section determines a word that is used in order to reply to something that the character has said. And so it's about finding how far into max mode you need to go to get the right word. It, I, I'll be honest. I found it very gimmicky and very annoying um, and wasn't particularly a massive fan of the of the max mode feature. Uh, yeah, I draw a lot of parallels with this game to Phoenix Wright, and I mm. feel like that may have been something that the developers kind of saw in Phoenix Wright and said, "Oh, Phoenix Wrights, take that is something we can use. How can we develop that for our game?" Yeah. It's it's clear that they're trying to go for that same oomph, but it just doesn't land the same way that the the, the thing is the difference with Phoenix right is that it's very clear when you're supposed to object. Um, and I mean, say very clear. It's, sometimes it's harder to tell, but you you have a rough idea. You know, you you sort of know. I always I remember feeling very. Uh, unsure and unprepared of when i was supposed to press the button for max mode and i was like i i think it's here whereas with phoenix right i was always kind of more sure even if i was wrong i was much more sure of when i was objecting and why yeah i definitely didn't feel like it was intuitive at all and this is probably the part of the game that held me up the most um because at the start i thought oh max mode you have to go to the top but that Mm -hmm. definitely wasn't always the case no and it's got that very um when they introduce it it's got that very stereotypical 
Japanese humor uh, where he's like, oh, I'll, I'll instigate max mode. And you're like, what? What the f- what are you? Because he's just a dude talking to himself, really, is is what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he definitely acknowledges that. Like, if you'll go talk at the wrong time, um, Max is like, oh, I'm just... I'm just talking to myself. What am I doing? And that's kind of your prompt <laughs> that it's probably not not what you should be doing. So do you find... Did you find yourself ever being unsure of how you needed to progress? Because, I mean, you kind of... Like you said, we have the aspects and everything, so you know what you're supposed to interact with. But the puzzle side of it is almost more from how do I progress to the next scene and the next act of the game rather than deliberate puzzles. Yeah. um, Most of the time I found the game gave you very clear hints, like Mm -hmm. um, I should go talk to this person or I should go here, actually naming what that is. Um, There weren't any puzzles that kind of kind of tripped me up from memory um there was a very tedious puzzle near the end where you're trying to track down picture proof of Arya and you go to the bookstore because there's a magazine at the time um which was like oh the cutest high school girls of this season uh of this year which is problematic in itself um (laughs) And you find the old man who owns the bookstore and he's like, well, if you go find these seven pieces of information, then I'll give you the book. And I found that time consuming and frustrating more than more than anything. It's not very often that you get fetch quests in a visual novel, really. (laughs) Like, (laughs) And I mean, what you said there, that's something that carries on into root film. Um, Okay. Root film, root film's interesting because it follows. You basically play as a director who learns about a a shelved movie from like twelve years ago, and you start investigating what happened, why was it shelved, and stuff like that. But I remember I I reviewed it, and I emailed the PR people my link to the review when I published it, and. I said in the email, I was like, I am really not comfortable with like some of the stuff in this game. Like, there's a section where um, you're traveling with this model who she's basically going to be in one of the movies you're producing and she's helping you investigate. And she's doing, uh, they have this thing in Japan that they do called radio calisthenics, which is basically every morning there's like a radio uh, program that plays that basically as people doing stretches in the morning and stuff it's really big in japan i don't understand it personally but there's like a a screen where she's like stretching and uh she's sort of puffing her chest out and the or the description underneath is like her supple body glistened in the sun and i'm like okay that's just that's just weird it's just (laughs) overly sexualizing for no damn reason like it's got no relevance whatsoever and a similar situation she's like 16 she's like this like schoolgirl model and it, it's just weird it's 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 weird and it's uncomfortable um but yeah i 
okay, let's let's get into the final thoughts. Um, I'll I'll go first because I'm curious what your final thoughts are. Um, Root Letter is an okay visual novel. Um, it's one of those things where it did a lot for establishing visual novels as a whole in terms of kind of solidifying their financial success especially in the west and kind of pushing it to a whole new audience the i've not played the original i've only played last answer so maybe it's that that version of the game bits of it are frustrating bits of it feel slightly gimmicky but honestly i feel like the plot and the story overall is quite enticing and is actually quite interesting and and like adam said kind of makes you want to know what is happening what were those other endings what have i missed and so if you're somebody who is a big fan of visual novels or if you're somebody who is kind of interested into getting into them either one of these two games would be a good first entry into somebody trying to explore japanese visual novels and i feel like both of them are historically relevant enough and are still good enough by today's standards that they are still worth playing what about yourself adam um yeah i agree with you with all of those points uh i feel like root letter is definitely good for people that want to experience a visual novel for the first time uh, it's very gentle in its mechanics and i'm guessing the remake has a lot of quality of life features that weren't there in the original version um again it being a visual novel it is going to take a bit of your time however uh the skip function particular in this game is a is a real strength so after you get that first ending you can literally skip whole chapters to go back to where you can change your letter writing answers or to where new content is it doesn't make you repeat yourself which i think every visual novel should have so that that in itself is a real strength i definitely think that is something that's beneficial for somebody looking to get multiple endings um being able to skip entire sections that don't impact the ending that you're going to get is a is a big deal yeah yeah um there are some gameplay mechanics that aren't going to be for everyone but i think overall as a part of the genre it's yeah definitely up there in terms of solid entries and would recommend it excellent well that brings us nicely to the end of the episode do you want to just remind people where they can find you what you do why they should check you out yeah thanks um so revival and extinction is part of the steam machine 
kind of media network. Uh, so we've got a couple of podcasts that do a couple of different things. The easiest way to find what we have, because we're on everything, uh, Spotify, Anchor, Twitter, Instagram, we've got Discord, which is full of lovely people. Uh, the easiest way to find everything is on the link tree, which is linktr.ee slash revival and extinction. Um, we can probably chuck a link in the show notes as well. And that's really kind of the hub to find everything to do with myself. Yeah, I definitely will um, put that in the description below. So if you're looking for another gaming podcast, if you're looking for something to go and check out, 100% check out Adam. As I hope you can tell, he's a lovely guy. And uh, he's doing a great job over on his little corner of the internet. In terms of us, there is a link tree in the description as well with all of our stuff in there, our socials, uh, all the other bonus content that we make. We we have a whole bunch of stuff that we're doing behind the scenes at the moment. Um, so if you are someone who enjoys the show, stick around for that because there's some interesting stuff coming. Is there anything else that you want to say before I sign off, Adam? No, man. Just thank you for having me once again. Well, yeah, fun. It's, it's been awesome, man. Absolutely awesome. So thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.